If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa, as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text Monica to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here midweek, pre-Thanksgiving. How are you? This is your go-to for Hot Liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Don't forget to check me out on social media. You'll have plenty of time on this holiday weekend to scroll through my Twitter feed and my Instagram feed, Instagram at Monica Crowley underscore, and Twitter and Truth Social, I am at Monica Crowley. Also, you'll have plenty of time over this holiday weekend to send me an email. Let me know what's on your mind. Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. So, how are you guys on this day before Thanksgiving? Huh? You traveling? Stuck in traffic? Already at mom's or grandma's? <laughs> I am glad that I can keep you company as you move about the country today. Before we get into today's show, I do want to tell you that on Friday, of course, we will be here because Saving America never takes a day off. So on Friday, we've got a huge and very special show with a major celebrity guest. You're going to want to buckle up for this one. A blockbuster guest with a blockbuster interview. That's coming up right here on Friday. So as you eat your leftovers or go out for something totally different like Chinese food (laughs) or a pizza... You're going to have the big Monica Crowley podcast to listen to. You're going to love Friday's show. I promise you. Okay, today I want to deal with the latest grotesque abuses of power from the regime. What's so striking about what the regime does is how brazen they are in their tyranny. We're going to get into this. Also today, we're going to have some pre-Thanksgiving fun to get you in the holiday spirit by talking with Brian and Teresa Morgenstern, my colleagues and friends from the Trump administration, who have written a unique new book that mixes stories from the Trump years, really important stories, but also really hilarious ones with delicious recipes and the cocktails to go with them. Okay, it's a great book, very fun. What better way to kick off the holiday season, right? Great times ahead here on the Monica Crowley podcast. That's all coming up. Plus your emails. Don't want to forget about that. But first, the Monica memo. There are abuses of power, and then there are grotesque, life-changing, nation-destroying abuses of power. That is what we have been through over the past three years. 
and what we continue to go through, the fallout from the COVID pandemic. Our disgusting so-called leaders now say, for the most part, that they want COVID in the rearview mirror. And the only reason that they're saying that, they said it before the midterms, but the only reason now they're saying it is because they basically have no choice because the American people have moved so far beyond COVID. I'm not talking about the COVID maniacs, and I'm not talking about the sick and the, the elderly, the vulnerable, who are still very concerned about the virus. But for the most part, the vast majority of Americans have moved so far past this thing that the people in power are like desperately trying to either catch up or continue the whole scare regime, the whole fear regime that they have thrived on for the last three years. But now they want to sort of have it both ways, where they want to pretend like it never happened, but at the same time, hold on to all of the levers of power that they were able to get through the pandemic. I don't think so. I don't think so. Yesterday, the chief criminal of all of this, one of the most evil puppet masters of the COVID-19 pandemic and the response to it, gave his last press briefing. Dr. Anthony, I am the science, Fauci, took to the White House podium and was asked the most basic question. How did COVID start? Let's talk about the origins of this virus. Of course, that's the question, the answer to which would unravel the entire house of cards. So it had to be shut down which is exactly what Corinne Jean-Pierre did when a reporter asked. Listen. Dr. Fauci, um, only, only 13% of... Hold on one second. We have a process here. I'm not calling out on people who yell. And you're being, you're being, you're being disrespectful to your colleagues and you're being disrespectful to our guests. I will not call on you if you yell. And also you're taking time off the clock because Dr. Fauci has to leave in a couple of minutes. I th- I'm done. I'm not going. I'm not getting into a back and forth with you. Go ahead, Jeremy. Thanks. Dr. Fauci, um, but, but she's only she's only thirty good questions. You question. You should allow her to answer. Jeremy, 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 Across the room, she has a valid question. She's asking about the origin of COVID. I hear the question. And Dr. Fauci is the best person. I, to I hear your question, but we're not doing this the way you want it. This is the disrespect. Of, it is. I'm done, Simon. I'm done. I'm Simon. I'm done. I'm done with you right now. Don't like the question. The question hit a little too close to home. Shut it down. Shut up, peon. Sit down and be quiet. I'm done. I'm done with you. Excuse me? (laughs) This is the White House press secretary who's paid for by you and me. She's supposed to be not just the spokesperson for the president of the United States and his administration, but also generally for the American people. And listen, I understand wanting to deal with reporters this way because reporters are, uh, well, uh, we know what they are. So I understand snapping and losing your patience. But these are friendly reporters who never lift a, a finger or, or a, a pen or a keystroke in hostility against this president or his administration. Okay, This is a friendly White House press corps. And somebody asked, really, the only question that matters, which is the origins of COVID. But they know how dangerous that question is, and so they've got to shut it down. So when she talks about disrespecting your colleagues, what she really means is, I am now going to disrespect you and all of the American people by shutting you down. I'm done. I'm done with you. And all of the little other puppets sitting there in that White House briefing room, and I've been there. I've been in that briefing room many a time. It's a small little space. All of those other little puppets sit there in their masks, looking stupid, and they take it. They take that kind of abuse 
from the White House press secretary. Now, uh, consider all of the Trump press secretaries and all of the abuse that they took from the White House press corps, Jim Acosta standing up screaming at them, the whole thing. But this one stands up and she's like, you're being disrespectful. No, they consider the question out of bounds. And that explains her response. Now, if the next reporter she called on had a brain and a shred of courage, in fact, if any of the other so-called reporters sitting in that room yesterday had a brain and a shred of courage, when it was their turn to ask a question, they should have taken the baton from the reporter who was screamed at for daring to ask the only really important question, They should have picked up the baton and they should have asked that question. It should have been like a relay so that every reporter she called on asked that question. That would have been taking care of their colleague, right? They all say, oh, we've got such a nice community of reporters here and we all respect each other's time and space and all of that. Well, they should have picked up the baton from the reporter who got dissed and asked that question. They should have stepped up and asked the question that got shut down. Each one should have asked it until they got some answer. Even a non-answer would have been an answer. And in fact, Corinne Jean-Pierre's response was the answer. But all of these little puppets sit there in their masks and then they look down. Have you noticed that? They all look down, pretending to write at the answers. Nobody really meets her eyes once in a while, you know, but it's not. It's the exact opposite of what we saw with Trump. And it's just a bunch of little uh, uh, placated, weak puppies in that room, all just lapping up the propaganda that they're being fed. It's gross. Those little drones just sat there and proceeded with their, instead of the really important questions, like the one guy tried to ask, they all just proceeded with their ridiculous questions. Will Joe have two or three scoops of ice cream on his pumpkin pie? All so pathetic. This is exactly why we need what I have been calling for, which is a COVID accountability project. Okay? When we come back, I want to hit this. I want to hit Fauci because he deserves it. And he may be retiring, but he's not going anywhere. So let's hit a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to take apart Dr. Anthony. I am the science. Fauci, sit tight. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double, And the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys. And you'll feel better with more energy, and you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. All right, welcome back. So this COVID accountability project, which I've been calling for, I want to get into this here because we cannot allow what's happened to this country over the last three years to go unanswered. We just cannot, not from an economic standpoint, not from a political standpoint, not from a geopolitical standpoint, not from a diplomatic standpoint, and certainly not from a moral standpoint. 
Dr. Anthony I am the science Fauci has decided to retire. That's why he gave his last press briefing uh, yesterday. Um, I assume he's taking the rest of the week off for Thanksgiving. And then I think his last day is next Tuesday. I think December 1st is his cutoff or next Wednesday, whatever it is. So he is retiring from his position as the head of the NIH and the nation's chief infectious disease guy, which is an office he's held for, what, 30 years? 40 years, actually, because he was like the chief go-to guy on the AIDS pandemic, which he also royally screwed up on purpose. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know enough about it, but I do know that a lot of people have come forward saying that Fauci royally screwed up the response to the AIDS pandemic in the early 1980s. And a lot of people died in that pandemic that didn't need to die. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. So I say to Fauci, GTFO, don't let the door hit you on the way out. But Fauci thinks that he is going to retire to Martha's Vineyard and play golf in Pinochle. I don't think so. We need this COVID accountability project. All of these liars ruined the country. Fauci, Burks, Walensky, all of them. And there are so many others, but those are the big headliners, right, of the COVID pandemic. And they all now, now Fauci has not admitted to anything, he thinks he's God. He literally thinks he's God. Remember at the height of the pandemic, Fauci was doing photo shoots for like InStyle magazine where he was posed by a pool. It reminds me of Zelensky, who in the middle of, uh, I guess, a real war, was posing for Anna Leibovitz for Vogue with his wife, like all decked out, beautiful lighting, the whole thing. Fauci in the middle of the pandemic was posing by a pool, I think in Los Angeles, in style. He did a million of these things. Fauci has not admitted any wrongdoing or mistakes. He will not ever. Dr. Burks admitted a couple of months ago when she put out her book that she, oh, she may have misread the data. Oh, whoops. Whoops. Walensky, the head of the CDC, same thing. Oh, we may have been mistaken in a couple of areas. Uh, no. Guys, these were not mistakes. Again, I talk about it all the time in the political context when I talk about Biden or Harris or Jerome Powell at the Fed or Janet Yellen at Treasury. These people might be evil and misguided and dark, but they're not stupid. These people are MDs. They've spent their whole life in medicine and research. They're not stupid. They knew what the data was. They knew where it was going. They knew all of it at the time, and they still plowed ahead. These liars ruined the country. They ruined American lives. They ruined livelihoods. They ruined children. They ruined mental health. They destroyed everything in their path. They held back therapies that they knew worked to mitigate the illness. Yes, I'm talking about ivermectin and hydroxy. They knew all of this. At the time, they knew that those medications, which were cheap and readily available, would help. And they blocked them on purpose. They pushed ventilators and the experimental shots, knowing that there were big risks involved. They lied about masks. They lied about the data. They lied about everything. And they continued to lie. And at the same time that all of this was going on, they were amassing unprecedented power for themselves, which was the point, and the point to remake the entire country. They tested our willingness to comply with direct orders. We failed that test. So many just willingly and so quickly gave up their most precious freedoms and didn't raise any questions. Or if they did, they were silenced ostracized, banned from polite society for raising legit questions. So there were a few of us brave souls out there, but the vast majority just accepted what the authority figures like Fauci were saying and did it. And so many of them still do. That's what's really terrifying. Three years in and people are still like, oh, Fauci said, so I'm going to do. But they weren't just amassing power for themselves. 
and testing our willingness to be sheep. They were also conditioning us to believe that cherishing our freedom is selfish, to get us to a collectivist mindset, to get us to collectivism. That's what the Great Reset is all about. The movement of free societies toward neo-Marxism, economic Marxism, cultural Marxism, political Marxism. And the vanguard, of course, will sit above it all. That is the elite ruling class that Karl Marx and Vladimir Lenin spoke about. The vanguard, that's them. So they won't be affected by any of this, just like they're not affected now by rising crime. They're not on the streets walking around. They've got armed guards. They live in gated communities. They've got a car and driver, bulletproof glass. They're protected. While the rest of us have to live with the fallout of their decisions to move Western societies in this direction. This is what the Great Reset is all about. And that's why the virus and the so-called vaccines were all such a critical part of it. Was it done on purpose? I don't know, but I think so. I I absolutely think so. Look, Donald Trump, and this is not about Trump. I mean, it, it was about Trump in the abstract. Donald Trump was president at the time. They would not allow him to be reelected under any circumstances. So they burned down the country with BLM and Antifa. But they also looked abroad. Remember, that gain-of-function research that gave rise to the COVID-19 virus, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, that was funded, at least in part, by Dr. Anthony I.M., the science Fauci. So it was being funded and done offshore in China at the Wuhan lab. And you can't tell me that Fauci didn't have some great control over this virus. Was it an accident? Who knows? The way I think, my mind is like, absolutely not. This was timed on purpose. And it was timed to remove Donald Trump from office. This is not solely about Trump. Obviously, this is about the global reset. But Donald Trump as president of the United States was the biggest obstacle for them to achieve their ultimate goals here. So they had to get rid of him. And what better way than to release a virus worldwide, highly contagious, novel virus, and just indoctrinate people with fear about it. Oh, we don't know what this virus is. It might kill you in 24 hours. Nobody knew. Donald Trump was sitting atop a thriving American economy and brokering world peace all over the place and the only American president in modern times to take on China with tariffs. He was taking them on economically, geopolitically, strategically, etc., and not giving an inch. So, of course, if you are an aspiring superpower, as China is, you can't allow this. You can't allow it to go on. And so my view, and I, I have no proof of this, it's just my theory, but my view is the deep state in the West, the deep state in the United States, as personified by Anthony, I am the science Fauci, worked hand in glove with the CCP to take down Donald Trump, to undermine and weaken the United States of America and the rest of the West by shutting down the global economy. When you think about it, they shut down the global economy to stop one man. That's how powerful he was. And again, it's not solely about Trump, but as Trump as the ultimate personification of the obstacle for them to leverage this for the Great Reset, he had to be removed. And still, this is why he continues to still be a huge threat to them, right? So all of this is of a piece. Now HHS under Biden is talking about the possible reimposition of things like mask mandates. I'm sure they're going to start with a recommendation and then maybe move to a mandate, like on planes or whatever, All of that stuff, it seems like a relatively minor thing, but it's a lever they use to prod you back into compliance, to prod the sheep back into the pen, to condition you to ask how high when the ruling class says jump. That's what this is all about. This is what it's always been about. It's not about the virus. You know, I wonder at the time, now that I'm talking about this out loud... 
you know, Fauci, because Fauci funded this gain of function research in Wuhan for this particular virus and God knows what else, what other Frankenstein events they're doing. But I wonder, you know, we just assumed at the time because it was a virus nobody had seen before, it was a Frankenstein virus, novel coronavirus, that they, you know, leveraged the fear on that. So it was, was this new virus like the Ebola virus where you're going to be dead in 72 hours bleeding out? Or was this a more extreme flu where the vulnerable, you know, would, would, nobody knew at the time. And that fear that swept the planet, like, well, we got to get a handle on this virus and see how it's going to behave before we do anything. So lock everything down so we can really see what's going on here. Maybe Fauci and the CCP and the deep state that orchestrated all of this, in my view, maybe they knew. Maybe they knew. Maybe they knew that this virus was, yes, highly contagious, was going to take out a bunch of highly vulnerable people like the elderly, people with diabetes, heart disease, all kinds of comorbidities. And maybe that's what it was designed to do, you know, with this whole global depopulation agenda, kill a bunch of people. But maybe they knew that younger and healthier people would be just fine. They'd contract it and it would be miserable for a week, 10 days, whatever it is. But for the most part, it wasn't going to be the Ebola. Maybe they knew that. That that is just occurring to me now. (laughs) Um, Maybe it's obvious and has been obvious to you guys, but maybe Fauci and the whole crew knew the whole time that this virus was not a killer like Ebola and dangerous and contagious, yes, but wasn't going to wipe out you know, younger, healthier people. Maybe they knew that the whole time. This whole enterprise was geared for re-engineering the West, re-engineering the globe, more in the CCP model. Klaus Schwab, the head of the World Economic Forum, he just gave an interview today, I think, I just saw it on social media, where he is touting the Chinese model as this huge, great beacon of light in the world. This is their ultimate agenda to make the rest of the world look like China. And that's certainly the CCP's goal as well, to make the rest of the world look like it and bend to its will. They also believe that the world is too overpopulated. I think we just hit 8 billion. So between the virus and the shots, they're killing a lot of people here, but not nearly enough. And that's what is so dangerous. Throughout this whole process, and God knows what's coming next, but this is not about the virus. They don't care if you live or die. In fact, to them, it's probably better if you're dead. No carbon footprint if you're dead, right? Power and control, that's it. That's what this is all about. And their ultimate vision of the Great Reset. You will own nothing and be happy. So we are all over this. Uh, Fauci, good riddance. Don't let the door hit you. But remember, this guy, the, the fact that he was giving a press briefing in the White House yesterday, instead of lawyering up and briefing himself for massive lawsuits and possible prison time, that tells you how far we've fallen, right? This guy is still elevated as a hero when he is such a dark villain, pure evil, a total criminal, and that's why we need the COVID Accountability Project. All right, when we come back, We're going to lighten things up, thank God, because this is (laughs) pre-Thanksgiving. So we're going to have a really fun conversation about the Trump years, including Fauci and COVID and his handling of all of this with two great friends who were also with me in the Trump administration. They've written a great new book with fun recipes and cocktails to go with each recipe. It's really, really fun. So sit tight for that. But first, I'd like to take a moment to welcome a new sponsor. The company is called Worthy. There's a new easy way to get money for that diamond jewelry that you are not wearing. It's called Worthy. Worthy is a platform that can get you up to two or three times as much money as a pawn shop or local jewelry shop will offer you with zero risk. Worthy puts your jewelry in front of a worldwide network of professional buyers, people who will bid against each other for your diamond. And Worthy makes it so easy. Free shipping, free insurance coverage, free professional grading and evaluation, and you're in control from start to finish. If your price isn't met, you don't have to sell your piece and you get it back 
no charge. And now for a limited time, you'll get an extra $100 when your jewelry sells for over $1,500. All you have to do is register at worthy.com slash Monica. That's worthy.com slash Monica. Get more for your diamond jewelry at worthy.com slash Monica. Worthy, it's a better way to cash in on that hidden asset hanging out in your jewelry box. We'll be right back. Well, time now to lighten it up a bit with some fun talk and cocktails. Yes, I said cocktails because joining me now are two friends and former and maybe future colleagues from the Trump administration who have just published a brand new book that is a really unique very unique book because it's half memoir about those crazy, fabulous years during the Trump administration, and it's half cookbook with accompanying cocktails. Brian Morgenstern is an attorney, business consultant, and the owner of Win the Future Strategies. He worked with me at the Treasury Department, where he served as Deputy Assistant Secretary, until he very unceremoniously left me to go to the White House to serve as Deputy Press Secretary and Deputy Communications Director, where he also did a fantastic job, especially during those tumultuous last months of President Trump's first term. Also joining us is his beautiful and brilliant wife, Teresa Davis Morgenstern. She is the co-owner of Win the Future Strategies, and she's a former Pentagon Deputy Press Secretary. She also served on Capitol Hill, and their brand new book is called Vignettes and Vino. It's out right now, and they are here joining me, and I I couldn't be happier. Hi, guys. Oh, hello, Monica. Monica. Thank you so much for having us. (laughs) Well, it's a joy to talk to you. Brian, the whole audience should know that you and I worked together for about a year and a half until you, again, very rudely left me to go to the White House and serve in those incredible jobs over there. Um, And you and I have known each other a long time. And Teresa, I know you were in the administration as well. And I always heard such great things from Brian about you and then got to know you a little bit. And so it's just an absolute joy to have you with me here today. We're so we're so happy to be to be with you. And that was just such a crazy time. Remember, in the middle of the pandemic, and we had been working 24-7 on the economic relief programs. And then when I sort of got called up, if you will, to use a baseball term, I guess from from Treasury to the White House to assist, um, it was literally on a Friday, and I started at the White House on Monday. And it was, of course, during the pandemic, and a lot of people weren't even at work. And so our friends and colleagues came into work at the Treasury Department, and it was like, where's Brian? (laughs) It was like, well, he's across the street now. I mean, that was how fast things were moving. It was absolute insanity. Um, Yeah, that whole period of time was just looking back now, guys, it just was a surreal out-of-body experience. But I must say, congratulations on this brand new book called Vignettes and Vino, because it's really fun. Why did you guys, and maybe Teresa, you want to feel this question. Why did you decide to combine your memoirs, really? I mean, in in essence, there's so many stories about the Trump years in there that I do consider this a memoir. But why did you decide to combine memoirs of your your memories of the Trump years along with recipes? It's such a unique and, and festive concept. Yeah, well, going back to what you and Brian just talked about, when the pandemic started, Brian and your team were working 24-7 on the economic relief programs, and I was actually working for Secretary Wilbur Ross at the Commerce Department, and my job was to travel with him on all these international trade missions, conferences, et cetera, and because of the pandemic, it stopped, obviously. Um, We were literally about to go to China, for that matter, and we couldn't even plan that trip, and I talk a little bit about that in the book. So while Brian was here at home working 24 seven on his computer, I had nothing else to do. So I started cooking. (laughs) So that's where a lot of the recipes in this book come from is just that time, that downtime I had during the beginning of the pandemic of just cooking away and Brian and your team doing something that's never been done before. Um, And we thought this is such a great reflection of that time. 
Well, I'm so glad that you actually had a lockdown experience, Teresa, and I'm very jealous of that because as Brian will attest, those of us at the Treasury Department who were considered essential workers, there was no lockdown for us. So we were working 24 hours a day, seven days a week around the clock at Treasury. I mean, people were like, oh, didn't you get used to wearing your sweatpants? I was like, sweatpants? I was in heels, full blowout, dress every day, going into Treasury, trying to help Secretary Mnuchin and President Trump save the U.S. economy. And Brian can certainly attest to that. But I'm glad, Teresa, that you were able to take some time and develop these incredible recipes that are part of this book. So let's, let's get into some of these stories that you share, because that whole time was so volatile in the country and it was so tumultuous. Teresa, I know that you, at, at one period of time, then you were working communications for the White House during mm-hmm. Operation Warp Speed. How do you remember that period? Well, as you remember, um, the military played a huge part in Operation Warp Speed, and that's why I got called to the White House was to help work out the logistics side, the Pentagon side of Operation Warp Speed. And it was a unique time. We were going into the office physically every day. Um, Layer on top of that, all the protocols surrounding COVID and all the uncertainty that came with it. Um, And I was working with Brian and we were engaged at the time. And as you know, the White House can be a crazy place. So to be able to have your partner by your side, um, you know, he's the number one person that I trust. I don't think I would have been able to get through that experience without him. Um, And so it it was a pressure cooker. The pressure was on. Um, We were trying to get through an election, COVID, uh, getting a vaccine through the door, and and a Supreme Court confirmation for that matter. Um, We had a front row seat to history. Oh, absolutely. And by the way, it is a huge testament to your love and the strength of your relationship. (laughs) And also what you just said is very revelatory about the fact that you guys are still newlyweds because Teresa, you're all like, oh, it was so nice to have Brian by my side working around the clock. And uh, most people would be like, it's a miracle we didn't kill each other. (laughs) So so bravo to to the two of you. Um, You know, Brian, the left now is working overtime to try to erase that entire period of time, right? Like COVID, what, what COVID, what mandates? We, yeah. we didn't, especially in the blue states, right? Because all of those mandates failed. They were complete violations of so many people's uh, rights, including their human rights. Uh, what, what, especially the blue states and those governors did to their people is just unconscionable. And also now in retrospect, incredibly unpopular. So they're trying to memory hole that entire period of time, but we won't let them forget the good that the Trump administration did during that period, both economically and in terms of public health. Talk to us a little bit about, I'd love some gossip because you do write about Fauci and Burks uh, because you were both uh, dealing with them on a daily basis. I consider them now, in retrospect, nefarious presences in the White House. Talk to us a little bit about Drs. Fauci and Burks and how they were sort of how, how they were manipulating the system and the psychology of fear around this virus and then the vaccine rollout. Yeah, so uh, I would put Fauci and Burks in slightly different categories um, for this reason. Fauci, uh, in my observation, and I, I learned over the course of dealing with him that he wasn't just making errors. He wasn't just incorrect. Um, he actually was sort of ego-driven and partisan and was using that climate of fear to elevate himself and continues to do so, by the way. He will never let this pandemic go because as soon as people move on from it, his relevance goes away. And so I, I, I actually talk a little bit about his motives, I think, uh, are more nefarious. Dr. Burks was a little bit, they both favored very stringent uh, pandemic restrictions. Hers was a little bit, uh, her motives were different. I, in my view, she was projecting some of her personal life experience onto the entire country because she has a multi-generational household with older parents uh, and children and grandchildren. And her sort of modus operandi was to always look at circumstances through that lens of, well, 
if even a kid or a college student, you know, a young, healthy person goes out into the world and is exposed to COVID, they're going to come home and hug granny and kill their grandparent. And uh, Dr. Atlas and others rightly would say, well, that circumstance doesn't really apply to everyone. And you cannot, you know, this has to be a risk reward analysis. And it, the analysis has to include public health factors other than COVID, missed doctor's appointments, missed cancer screenings, missed surgeries, the development that children were missing out on. And remember, Atlas was pilloried for making these comments. And in hindsight, he was absolutely right. But I think Dr. Burks's motives were, you know, her excess caution, I would blame on uh, sort of her myopic view that everyone should look at things through her life experience. Fauci was more, it's about me and elevating himself. I mean, I talk about a couple of examples of that in the book. One was this very dramatic interview he gave on 60 Minutes where he was wearing a turtleneck and a tweed blazer looking like some <laughs> kind of tortured poet yeah. talking about how the science was being silenced by the White House staff, saying this on network television without a hint of irony. And then he got himself invited to throw out the first pitch of Major League Baseball instead of the president because he thought he was more important than the president. I mean, this is a crazy person <laughs> who thinks that his own ego and relevance is more important than anything else. So um, those are my thoughts on, on those two. They were both very restrictive, but for different reasons. So because they had so much expertise or so-called expertise in communicable diseases, they really wielded that like a weapon in order to silence others like Dr. Atlas and Dr. Paul Alexander, who was in the administration. There were others who were trying to push back on their insane prescriptions of this and really leverage the fear in the country because this was an unknown virus. Nobody knew how it was going to behave. Was it going to be the Ebola where if you catch it, you're dead in 72 hours, or was this a more extreme flu? Nobody knew. So they took that uncertainty and fear and weaponized it, especially Fauci. But even now, guys, I, you know, in the first series of interviews that Burks gave when her book came out a couple of uh, months ago, I saw her on TV and she's looking like a supermodel. She's yeah. got chic glasses on, her blonde hair is all blown out. And I'm looking, I did a double take. And I said, that can't be Deborah Burks. Then I saw, and I said, you know, that whole Mother Hubbard routine that she did during the, the virus, during the pandemic with the scarves and the no makeup and everything else. I just feel like both of them were lying through their teeth. And even Burks admitted, she was like, yeah, we, we knew that it wasn't going to, that the vaccines weren't going to be able to stop transmission. Huh? You knew that and you kept lying to the American people. So I feel like President Trump was put between a rock and a hard place. Obviously, he needed to shut down the country. I mean, in retrospect, we can say he shouldn't have. And it caused all of this collateral damage. But at the time, nobody knew what the heck was going on. And I really feel like Fauci and Burks and Redfield and others weaponized public health, knowing that it wasn't quite as dangerous as they were making it out to be, knowing the vaccines couldn't stop transmission uh, or, or contracting the virus. And yet they went out there anyway, and there was nobody really equipped enough to stop them. What do you think? I think there's, uh, there's some truth to that, absolutely 100% truth to the notion of putting President Trump between a rock and a hard place. Because in the time of uncertainty, they were the resident swamp monsters uh, who were the voices on infectious disease that the media turned to and were propped up as sort of infallible So and put on the president's level. So it was sort of the president versus the doctors when he tried to say the cure can't be worse than the disease. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that... You, you touched on the vaccine issue. Being hopeful about vaccines and being uh, and thinking vaccine mandates are a bad are a bad idea is a perfectly reasonable position. And yet, I think they and others in the media certainly uh, took the position that if you're anti-mandate, that you know you're pro-death. I mean, there have been there have been videos floating around of anchors like Chuck Todd 
talking about how if you're not going to get your your COVID vaccine, which you know we're proud to have worked on warp speed and speeding up the regulatory process, which I think can be replicated for future medical advances. I think that's a great project. But this notion that if you're you know someone who's young and healthy, or you want to wait and see, and you want to have a pretty reasonable, skeptical view on things, that you're somehow evil and demonic and leading to more death. I mean, these sorts of postures, I think, were divisive for the country, uh, morally bankrupt, and obviously, you know, incredible harmful, incredibly harmful for our society. And in retrospect, just plain stupid. Yeah, I, absolutely. And, you know, I, we couldn't control the arrival of the virus But in retrospect, you know, health is one thing you really can't question without looking like a jerk, right? Like if if someone has a little kid and the kid says, mommy, I have a really bad stomachache. I can't go to school today. Well, the mom can't say, no, you don't. You don't have a stomachache. You're going to school. Well, maybe maybe a mother can, but (laughs) without looking like a jerk, I, I don't know about that. So, you know, you couldn't you can't really question anything surrounding health and they knew it and they weaponized it. And I think um, it it was all because everything in this country is shot through with politics. I think they really leveraged it in a key way to try to prevent President Trump from being reelected. Teresa, let's talk talk about another um, series of events that happened that summer of 2020 that also, I think, was largely geared to stopping President Trump from being reelected. And that was the fact that Black Lives Matter and Antifa were burning down the country. Mm -hmm. Washington, D.C., where we were all working that summer, was literally on fire. Mm -hmm. And like you guys, I remember needing Secret Service protection to get home just a few blocks away. Was there a sense in your positions in and around the White House that none of this was organic, that it was all instead being ginned up Mm -hmm. as a political lever to try to prevent the reelection of Trump. Oh, absolutely. And there was no outrage from the Democrats at all about this. In fact, they essentially enabled this kind of violence to happen across our country. And as you know, this violence pretty much happened in democratic cities. Um, It was scary. I had a friend who actually lived somewhere downtown 18th street, DC, and a car was literally on fire. And she called me and she said, can I come over because I don't feel safe. Um, And unfortunately, this has led to where we are today, where there's crime rampant across America. As you know, D.C. had three shootings in Navy Yard yesterday. Um, So, again, I mean, I think the Democrats have essentially enabled this kind of behavior across the country. And culturally, it's it's scary to think about. Um, But hopefully, you know, in a couple of weeks when the midterms come around, Republicans will take back the House and Senate and we'll be in a better position to fight this. Yeah, a hundred percent. Brian, did you want to weigh in on uh, the, the nation being burnt down in the summer of 2020? Yes, a hundred percent, because a couple of very vivid memories uh, come to mind. One is when there was a speech the president was giving on the South Lawn and these violent protesters had surrounded the White House. I believe that was the RNC convention speech. And we were there working And it was late at night when we were going home and the Secret Service had to set up like a fence tunnel, basically, to like for several blocks and help us get to a safe place where we could even like get an Uber and figure out how to get home safely. Because these violent anarchists were in the streets screaming and breaking windows and being violent. I think Senator Paul, Rand Paul. Uh, and his wife, I think, were confronted by some of these lunatics. Um, so we, we had a, a firsthand experience of just trying to get home from the White House with these people going berserk, obviously protesting and, and trying to hurt President Trump's chances of reelection. The other memory I have is in so many interviews that I was giving on the White House's behalf and talking about the riots and how President Trump was the voice of law and order saying, this is lunacy, (laughs) you know, ask me for help, ask us for the National Guard, we will put these things down in two seconds that you cannot have this. This is this is just insanity. And the Democrats didn't want the help. They didn't want it. They wanted the violence and the anarchy because they thought it would create a an air of uh, 
fear, distrust, unhappiness, you know, pick your adjective, your negative adjective that they could then pin on Trump. So they were literally sacrificing people's livelihoods, in some cases, people's lives, businesses, uh, historic building, courthouses. I mean, all kinds of important things they were willing to sacrifice just for politics. It was disgusting. It was surreal to experience at the time. Uh, And I'm so sad that our country went through that. I hope we're moving past it, but it doesn't seem like it because as Teresa pointed out, the crime wave that that we're experiencing now is just absolutely terrible. And it's going to really take uh, I think Republicans and law and order politicians of all stripes across the country to finally get their act together to restore a sense of normalcy and safety. And law and order. Yeah, because all of the issues that we talk about, whether it's on the economy or foreign policy or the border, none of it matters if you're dead. And yeah. so law and order, right, and national security are the two most important issues. And then everything else is sort of secondary, important, but second, secondary to that. Yeah. I mean, look, the people who are trying to destroy the country are communists. These are not Democrats along the lines of JFK or Bill Clinton. These are real full-fledged communists who have taken over one whole political party in this country. And the lesson of communism is they need violent mayhem in order to stoke the fear and division and hatred so that they can accomplish what they want to accomplish. If you're divided and living in fear and looking over your shoulder when you leave your house, you're not really focused on what they are doing. And that's exactly what they did in 2020, which they continue to do. And come 2024, forget it, they're going to burn down the country again. So the left obviously made the country a tinderbox. And working in the Trump administration, as the three of us did, was like being in a crucible. So all of that being said, and there are so many fantastic stories on other issues in uh, Vignettes and Vino in this fantastic new book, But you also have some light moments, too, like you tell the story about how John Voight, the actor and Angelina Jolie's dad, tried to plan your wedding. What happened there? Oh, I love that story. Uh, So at the Pentagon, we actually were celebrating the 75th anniversary of World War II in 2020, which unfortunately the pandemic got in the way of. And unfortunately, you know, the the greatest generation, right? They're dying and they're leaving us each day. And so we really wanted to go all out for this. And we had to find alternative ways to honor them. Uh, So we decided to do a sort of 30 minute program where celebrity like Jay Leno, John Voight would introduce a living World War II veteran, tell their story and come together and reflect on that time. So John Voight happily volunteered to do this. He came on his own dime to D.C. And I think at the time he was coming to D.C. very often because him and President Trump were very close. Um, And he agreed to do this. We, We paired him with the veteran. And I mean, he's a patriot. And he cried talking to this World War II veteran we spoke with, um, just hearing his story of being in Europe during that time. And um, we were just all filled with joy and pride. It was so nice to do something like this in the middle of the pandemic. And by the way, these World War II veterans, they were ready to do this. They were not scared of COVID at all. So um, we were able to do this with him and we went to the Trump Hotel afterwards. We just, you know, had a great time talking to each other. And I think him and Brian got together, started talking about our relationship. And next thing you know, John Boyd came over to us and was telling us, you should go to Charlottesville, Virginia, and go to Borset Inn and get married there because I love that place. Yeah. yeah. So he, so he absolutely, it was a wonderful day. It was a wonderful story. And John Boyd is one of the sweetest men I think we've had a chance to get to know. And that day, talking with the veteran's name was Link Carter. And he yes. talked about how he heard President Roosevelt's uh, Day of Infamy speech when he was a young man and that inspired him and he signed right up and he went and I believe he stormed the beaches of Normandy. Um, so the video and and when John Voight was interviewing him, yeah, John's, John teared up uh, just full of patriotism and pride. And then when we were chatting with him, he was, this is a man who just loves love. He really is. He's in the right business in in the dramatic acting business, of course, which he's a legend in. But um, after speaking with him for a while about a relationship, I remember him looking at me saying something to the effect of, I've heard enough. You should get married this weekend. 
and here's where you're going to get married. <laughs> he told us exactly what, what we should do. We did not take his advice to the letter, but I did soon thereafter propose to Teresa at a beautiful historic resort in Virginia that is not Boar's Head, but not unlike Boar's Head. So <laughs> it, he, he did inspire me and we had- amazing. That's amazing. So we owe your beautiful union to John Voigt. Isn't that that's <laughs> yeah. an incredible story? Okay, so here's what makes Vignettes and Vinos so special. In this book, you pair each story about the Trump years and how you met, your love story, etc., with recipes for some of your favorite meals, including a clubhouse steak sandwich, spicy chicken parm, and bourbon vanilla French toast, along with a signature cocktail. So tell us about these recipes and how you chose those. Teresa, are these the ones that you really developed when you were stuck at home during COVID? Or these are family recipes or both? Yeah, it's it's, it's definitely both. The, a ton of them are recipes I developed while we were hunkered down during COVID. Um, and then some of them are our mom's recipes. So, you know, those are really great recipes. Obviously, mother recipes are good. Uh, but yeah, those are ones I developed. The steak sandwich is really good. I'm personally very proud of that one. And then Brian is the master behind all the cocktails. Yeah, well, I have a couple of recipes. Teresa has most of the recipes. The the clubhouse steak sandwich, she sort of revolutionized it by using beef medallions and then a champagne vinaigrette and some other uh, interesting flavors. Um, that one we paired with the story of staffing President Trump at a press conference at his golf club, hence the name uh, clubhouse steak sandwich. So we've sort of found a tie in with each story uh, to come up with the appropriate recipe. The so some of the really good, I think the bourbon vanilla French toast one uh, goes with the John Daly story, which I remember we got yelled at at the Treasury Department <laughs> for talking to John Daly on FaceTime, which is <laughs> even saying it out loud is the most, it's the most ridiculous thing that has ever happened at work. Oh, by the way, before you continue, Brian, I should just tell everybody listening, you need to understand when you are in Washington, D.C. and you're working in a presidential administration at a very high level like Brian and Teresa and I were, reality is absurd. Okay. And you, you yes. get sucked into this bizarre vortex where you basically have no claim to your own life. You can't yep. go to any social event whatsoever without passing it through your uh, department's ethics division and having them come back and clear it before you can go to a book party or a cocktail party. You have your, your body, your person, your life is not your own. And yep. everything you do, you have to weigh with okay, if our New York Times reporter hears about this, is this going to be a thing, yeah. <laughs> right? Is this going to be a story? So everybody needs to understand the context of what you're saying. So continue. Yes. So the, the bourbon vanilla French toast, I thought it was appropriate to have something involving bourbon. And then the, the cocktail I came up with was the John Daddy, um, which is, you know, everybody knows an Arnold Palmer is delicious. It's iced tea and lemonade, but John Daly made it acceptable to add vodka to it. So it's, <laughs> it's a very simple, simple cocktail uh, that goes with a, just an absolutely absurd story day at work. That was when Andrew Giuliani, of course, was doing external affairs at the White House. And we were uh, working with lots of businesses trying to figure out how, for example, the Paycheck Protection Program would work with various businesses and nonprofits and things. And so we spoke with a lot of people all across the country, most not famous, but some of them famous. And that included John Daly, Magic Johnson, Mark Cuban. Uh, I ate a Jimmy John sandwich while speaking with Jimmy John, the founder of Jimmy John's, <laughs> yeah. which was you know, truly bizarre and interesting and funny. Um, so it, yeah, we've tried to find a hook for the recipe and the cocktail with each, with each story and, uh, just make it, you know, we're not famous people, so nobody's going to necessarily pick up our book and buy it because it's our book. So we wanted to make it useful for people. And so well, it's, it's so good. And I have to say, uh, Brian, that in the two years that we worked together, you never once told me that you guys were such foodies. So I take that as a big affront. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, we've sort of become foodies, I think. That was like one of the silver linings of COVID, I guess. Ah, okay. Maybe. Well, you know, sitting at our desk in Treasury with our sad little muffin or whatever we were eating. Um, well, I'm glad that you guys have become incredible foodies because these recipes are absolutely amazing. And I can't even make toast. So well done and congratulations. <laughs> the book is called Vignettes and Vino. The authors are my friends, Brian and Teresa Morgenstern. If you loved the Trump administration and or if you love to eat great food with a fine cocktail, go get it. Again, it's called Vignettes and Vino by Brian and Teresa Morgenstern. Thank you guys so much. Thank Thanks, you, Monica. Monica. Great to talk to you. You too. Okay, when we come back, we've got a great email I'm going to read. It might be yours, so don't go anywhere. But first, I want to take a moment to welcome a brand new sponsor, Nutrafol. Ladies, we all want to look and feel our best, and our hair is such an important part of that, right? Our hair is our crowning glory. But did you know that 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair? If you're among them, please know that you are not alone and that there's a solution you can trust to deliver results. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement, clinically shown to improve your hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage. Nutrafol is a simple addition to your daily routine. Just four pills a day, and you'll begin to experience thicker, stronger, and faster-growing hair in just three to six months. As Nutrafol's powerful ingredients bring your body back into balance, you may also notice improvements to your overall well-being, including more restful sleep, less stress, and better skin and nails. And when you subscribe, you'll receive automatic monthly deliveries so you'll never miss a dose. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code MONICA to save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, free shipping on every single order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L, Nutrafol.com, promo code MONICA. We'll be right back. Okay, guys, time now for the midweek email bag. Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com is our email address. If you want to send me a note, Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Jim in Sydney, Australia writes in with the latest on the Trump investigation front. Garland's appointment of a special counsel, Jack Smith, which we're going to probably deal with uh, more next week, Jim, just so you know. Jim sent in a piece from Monica Showalter at the American Thinker identifying that the appointment of the special counsel likely means that the January 6th committee will turn over all of their documents and the surveillance footage from the Capitol that day um, that we haven't been able to see because they're keeping it from us. All of the stuff that the committee is hiding in order to railroad Trump, that they're going to turn it over to the special counsel and block it from Congress. This is how Garland and the DOJ are going to get around the new GOP-led Congress, which really wants to reveal the truth about what happened on January 6th, not this, this whole web of lies. Of course, they can't allow that to happen because their entire made-up web of lies will unravel, just like the COVID thing that we were talking about earlier in the show. They can't allow the question about the origins of COVID because a whole house of cards will come down. Same thing here with January 6th. Everything you've been told in every direction has been just a web of lies. And of course, you know, if the GOP Congress gets a hold of this stuff on January 6th, the actual facts and truth, well, you know, their jihad to destroy Trump will be thrown off the rails yet again. So it appears that Garland and the DOJ are attempting this end run around the incoming Republican Congress. Jim writes, Monica, is this true and at all possible? If so, it is another shocking twist, kink, and turn of events, and looks like the Republicans have, for the second time in as many weeks with early voting, and now this, been outsmarted and outplayed again. Imagine Christopher Wray using the line that he can't report to Congress because of ongoing investigations, meaning the special counsel Jack Smith scam. 
Um, yeah, it looks exactly like this, Jim. Let's see if the GOP has a way around it, but I don't see it. Now, I'm not a lawyer, so there may be a way around it. I just don't know. I mean, the empire always strikes back, always. And because the empire is controlled by leftists and Democrats and the deep state and the propaganda press, we rarely stand a chance. We'll see what happens here, but it does look like the GOP may have been outmaneuvered. I don't know. But unlike with the election, where the Republicans did have control over the outcome, this looks like it's outside of their control. But don't give up, all right? Please don't give up. Be of good heart. The truth always emerges. Sometimes it takes more time than we'd like, but the truth always prevails. All right, that's going to do it for me today. And um, I just want to say on this day before Thanksgiving, I am so grateful to all of you for being here with me. We launched this show earlier this year, and I am just so thankful for all of you. I'm so glad that you're enjoying this show so much, for telling everybody you know about this podcast, for checking out our great sponsors who have been just terrific working with us, and for helping to build the community around this show. We are all here for each other, and I, for one, really appreciate your support and your kindness. So thank you. Have a great Thanksgiving with those you love. And I will see you right back here on Friday with a fantastic show and a major celebrity interview. Do not miss it. Tell everybody you know. See you then. Bless. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 